0: Good morning. How are we? All right. Excellent. There we go. Well, my name is Jesse Davis. I'm the campus pastor for our Washington campus, launching this fall. So excited to be here with you this morning. Uh, this morning, what I want to do first off is, is I want you to think back a little bit to your childhood. Whenever you were just a little snot-nosed little one around Christmas time. Alright, so I think, I think around Christmas time as little kids we can all relate to uh, just that longing, that deep hope that we had in that extremely well marketed toy for the season, right? So think, think, think back through that, no matter how old you are, that's been going on forever. Um, so I, I've, I've got some toys I'm going to throw up here I want you to take a look at. Maybe it was one of these that, that you had really longed for. Maybe it was the, the Chatty Cathy doll, classic Chatty Cathy there, yes. or, or the original G.I. Joe, that was pretty popular, or how about the Atari video game system, don't make it like that anymore, the Cabbage Patch doll, see some of you really missing that sucker, the Teddy Ruxpin, that was a creepy classic there, um, the Talk Talkboy, ah, those are pretty cool, uh, the Tickle Me Elmo, that whole crazy sensation that went on, or the most annoying toy ever, the Furby, uh, that, those were great. Uh, for some of you a little younger, maybe it was the, the iPod, whenever that first came out. And then transcending all time is the Red Rider BB gun, right? Actually, since the 1940s, that thing has been a popular choice. Now, for me, whenever I was little, um, there was a couple of those things that were neat, but but really, what did it for me was this—the He-Man Power Sword. Uh, any anybody remember He-Man? Like I, I'll just be honest—I wanted that thing so bad. Like I loved He-Man. Like I can remember being obsessed with this guy. Like just this huge warrior barbarian, like. The dude could pick up a mountain. Like, who doesn't want to be like that? And then they came out with this toy sword so I could be just like him, and I wanted that so bad. Like, I thought about it all the time. I longed for this thing. I did the letters to Santa deal because we weren't too spiritual for that in my house. I prayed to Jesus for it, all right, begging him, like, give me this on your birthday. Like, I wanted this thing. I bugged my mom any chance I could to get That He-Man power sword. I mean, I was so young, but I know this was probably the first real longing that I ever had in life. And I stayed up late at night. I drew pictures of it. I wanted that thing so bad. I hoped for it. My hope was in that He-Man power sword. And so I think you can probably relate at some fashion, maybe not as extreme as I was um, as a kid, or you can look at kids and get this idea of what it looks like to really hope for something, to really long for it. And so maybe you had that with one of those toys, or, or maybe you were just way more mature than I was as a kid, and so you didn't worry about toys because you started working at five years old, and, and that's cool. But you had hopes too, right? It was like that first car, or for a house, or for a spouse, Or that hope, that longing to have a child. I mean, this idea is universal to all of us. Every one of us has experienced hope in some way like that. And so this morning, as we're continuing through this series, Set Apart, in this summer we're going through the book of 1 Peter. And last week, Pastor Jake kicked this whole thing off, talking about this idea of how we're elect, how we're chosen by God to be set apart. And so if you missed that message, I would encourage you to check that out online. It was great. But today we're going to continue in this 1 Peter, looking at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 12, set apart for hope. And before we get into this too far, what you need to know is that there's a couple of kinds of hope. You can have two kinds of hope, worldly hope or living hope. So whenever we talk about worldly hope, we talk about hope, you know, kind of in things like this. We th- say things like, I hope the Cubs go the distance this year, right? Or the Cardinals fans are like, I, I hope not. I hope the Cardinals do, right? And then everybody else in the room is like, I hope he would pick better teams for his illustrations, like, like the Rangers, right? No, all right? So there's a level of this worldly hope that's like wishful thinking, But when I'm talking about worldly hope, I'm also talking about things that we find ourselves hoping for. So similar to those childhood wishes and that real shiny toy that we wanted to have, that kind of hope, what we've wanted. But over time, you grow up, right? You mature, and so toys aren't really doing it for you anymore. Uh, But really, all that means is the things that you start to hope for just get more expensive. That's all that it is. And so now it's cars and houses and ridiculously priced phones and gadgets, all right? It's, there's just a bigger price tag to what you hope for. But we're all hoping for things, hoping for a great vacation this summer. And this is, this is everybody. Everybody's hoping for these kind of things. So the other issue, though, about worldly hope isn't as much what we're hoping for, although that's, that's still really important, and we've got to address that. But even more serious is what we hope in. And so the big difference between worldly hope and then a living hope is that worldly hope places itself in some very different things than a living hope. And so worldly hope places hope in things like careers and that drive that we have to achieve and advance and to go further and to just make it to that level at some point, and then I'll have arrived and it'll be good. And so we press on that endless pursuit of success and achievement. Worldly hope also puts things, hope in things like money. So obsessing over the need to make sure that I, I have enough or that I make enough, just having enough put away. Now listen, that's not entirely bad, okay? There's some bit of wisdom in that, so don't hear me wrong, but the The question here is about hope. Is your hope in making and saving more and more and more? And so whenever that account just gets to that number, then you'll be okay. Then you'll be secure. But the reality is that that number doesn't actually exist, and you never get to it because it's a moving target. And so putting your hope in that is never going to satisfy. Worldly Hope puts hope in things like relationships. Maybe that man or woman that you just need to complete you and to make you whole. And when you put your hope in a person like that, that's just a ticking time bomb for disappointment. It won't ever be satisfied. And there's other things that fall into this idea of hope and hope the way that the world sees it. We just need to take an honest look at ourselves and see, does our hope look like everybody else's hope? So if you look around, and if it seems like your hope is in the same things that everyone else's hope around you is in, that's a worldly hope. That's how you identify what that is. And there's a difference in what the Bible means by a living hope. First of all, a living hope isn't wishful thinking It's certainty, and it isn't something that can be taken away. No financial crisis, no relational strife, no hardship, nothing can take it from you. Living hope is a full assurance and strong confidence that God is who he says he is and will do what he says he will do. We stake our lives on this hope. It's a living hope, and it's not a dead hope. Living hope is alive. It's fruitful and productive. Living hope changes things. It changes you. This is a powerful thing that produces powerful outcomes, and it only comes supernaturally. So this morning, as we look at 1 Peter, we're going to explore this idea of living hope, what it looks like and how we get it. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and take a look at 1 Peter. We're going to start in verse 3. Here's verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay. So we're going to stop right there for just a minute. Don't miss how Peter starts this whole thing off here. Okay, before he gets to anything else that he's trying to say, trying to teach us in this letter, he starts with this statement of praise, of worship towards God. He begins this whole thing by worshiping, declaring God's worth. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Peter starts with worship. And so the first thing about living hope that we need to know is that living hope responds to God in worship. Living hope responds to God in worship. Now, when I say worship, all right, let's, let's be clear. Peter isn't busting out singing here, okay? This letter is not written as a musical or some song and dance, okay? So what we need to realize, first and foremost, is that worship isn't singing or music. It's more than that. It can be included in it, but it's something so much bigger. And I know that that gets confusing because whenever we're in church, we're in times like this, we call those times worship, And we refer to it as worship music. But worship isn't just music, it's way bigger than that. So, I want to give you a a definition here, real quick, of worship. I actually came across this definition whenever I was in college taking a worship class. Uh, And whenever I heard this, I thought, that is an incredibly (laughs) solid biblical definition of worship. And I haven't ever been able to come up with anything better on my own, so I'm just going to give you this one, all right? Check this out. Worship is active communion with God in which believers by grace and through faith focus their heart's affection and mind's attention on humbly glorifying him in response to his character, his acts, and his word. Did you see that? The heart's affection and mind's attention. So can that be singing? Absolutely. But worship in no way is that limited. Worship is just our response to God in this way. Focusing the affections of our heart and the attention of our mind on glorifying Him. Giving God the glory that He deserves in everything that we do. And so what's interesting here in 1 Peter is that Peter isn't starting this whole thing off by just explaining that. He's not saying, listen, church, you should begin everything that you do in an attitude of worship, and then going into this long dissertation about worship. Instead, what he does is he just models this thing. It's just this overflow coming out of him. He's just expressing worship to God as he starts this whole thing off. He begins with worship. So then how does he get such a living hope? I mean, what would make him respond in worship just spontaneously like this? Let's continue reading. Still verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So the next thing about living hope is that living hope is the result of being born again. Living hope is the result of being born again. That according to his great mercy, God's great mercy, God has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Born again to a living hope. Living hope is a result of being born again, and we receive a living hope when we are born again. So before we get any further within that, we need to get some real clarity on this idea, all right? There's there's a couple of questions that we need to be asking. One, what does that mean, all right? What does that mean to be born again? And second, how do you know if you are or not? How do you know if you're born again or if you're not? And this is important. Really, the rest of this whole thing in 1 Peter and actually all of the promises of God rest on this foundation here, having a good, solid understanding of it. And really, even beyond that, it's it's an incredibly huge deal because there's eternal significance tied to it. So if you intend on going to heaven one day, the only way that that's going to happen is if you are born again. And that's not me saying that. That's actually Jesus' own words. Jesus said in John 3, 3, Truly, truly, I say to you, I'm not lying to you here, all right? Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. This is serious stuff. And so because of that, we've got to have a good understanding of what that means. So what does it mean to be born again? All right. First of all, this isn't another physical birth, okay? Nobody's crawling back in the womb here. Your mom ain't going to have that, all right? This, it's not that. This is something miraculous, something spiritual that takes place here. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a long, heady theological definition here, all right? Most of you look like intelligent human beings, most of you. Um, so I think you can handle that. The ones that don't look like it, you'll surprise me. I know that you are. So. But I, th- I think we can, we can chew on a little bit of meat just for a second here this morning, okay? So it's going to be up on the screen, but here's my definition for born again. Being born again is an act of God where he transforms you into a new person, forgives your sin, grants you eternal life, and gives you the gift of his Holy Spirit as you, by faith, embrace Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life. So let me say that again because there's a lot in that statement there. Being born again is an act of God where he transforms you into a new person, forgives your sin, grants you eternal life, and gives you the gift of his Holy Spirit as you, by faith, embrace Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life of your life when you respond to god's calling to become a committed follower of jesus you confess your sin and your need for him as savior and lord of your life this is a hands-up surrender jesus i'm giving it all to you and you are in control you are lord i'm committing to do things your way You take the pen out of my hand, it's yours, you're in charge. A total surrender. God then graciously forgives your sin, makes you new and pure before him. He grants you the gift of eternal life that's heaven with him forever, and the gift of his Holy Spirit, his presence with you now. You're born again into his family, becoming a child of God. So this is a supernatural act of God making you a new creation. And as you're born again, you're born again to a new family, to God's family. He's made you his child. So that's what it means. You become spiritually brand new. And so then how, does that hap- how, do, how do I know if that's happened in me or not? How do I know if I'm born again or not? So I'm going to give you an illustration that, that I've heard before that, that I think paints this really clearly here. So think about being born again in a similar way to your natural birth, okay? How do you know that you were born? Because you don't remember being born. And even your earliest memory wasn't of that traumatic experience, all right? You, you don't remember it, so then how do you know? What's the proof, what's the evidence that that took place? If I ask you, how do you know you were born? Well, I'm sure what you're going to do is this. If I say, how do you know you were born? You're probably going to say something like, well, big fella, I'm glad that you asked that because actually, I carry around the proof with me everywhere I go. <laughs> you see, here's my birth certificate evidence of my birth. Jesse Lee Davis. Born March 27th to Deborah K. Davis and Keenan Carl Davis. I was born. Here's my evidence right here, my birth certificate. You're not going to do that. That's ridiculous, right? If I ask you that, you're not caring. You don't even know where your birth certificate is. Come on, really? Like, you're not going to do it like that. So how are you going to respond? If I say, how do you know that you were born? You know what you're going to do? You're going to look at me first like I'm an idiot, and then you're going to step back, and you're going to go, (sighs) and you're going to breathe, because breathing is the evidence that you were born. There's the proof right there. That's all that you need. You can breathe. You standing there with your heart beating, all right, and breathing air is evidence that you were born. So I ask you that. You take a deep sigh in. You release your wonderful morning breath all over me. We have a bonding moment, and you've proved that you were born. And being born again is really similar to that. So how do you know that you've been born again? What's the evidence? What's the proof? How do you breathe to show that? Well, the first way that you do that is you respond to God in worship. Because those who are born again respond to God in worship. So just like Peter did there, that the giving of your heart's affection and your mind's attention is one evidence that you've been born again. That's the air that you breathe is worship. And the other evidence is right there, right here in these verses that we're talking about. Born again to a living hope. If you're born again, you're born again to a living hope, and that living hope becomes the evidence that you were born again. So back to the question, how do you know that you're born again or not? You live a life of worship, and you experience a living hope, a hope that sets you apart, a different hope than everyone else experiences. And the reason that that hope is so different than the hope that everyone else has is because that hope is anchored in a completely different place. Living hope is anchored in the gospel. Living hope is anchored in the gospel. Look back at 1 Peter. Living hope comes from being born again through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You don't make yourself born again to a living hope. This only happens through the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. Jesus is alive, resurrected from the dead for the benefit of you and me. That's the gospel. So look back at these verses. The text here, verses 4 and 5, we're born again to a living hope through Jesus to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfaded, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. God has given us a new birth into a living hope through Jesus that's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading an inheritance that God himself is guarding for us. That's the gospel. That's the good news. Like that should excite you. So think about that for just a second. God, the living God, the creator of everything that we know, the one who spoke it all into existence, he holds it all together by his own power. That God, don't miss this, don't grow numb to how incredible this is. That the one who holds the stars in the sky, that God, the maker of all things beautiful and right, that God. You look at the splendor of the mountains, the largest of mountains, and he's the one that called them up from the ground. You look at the beauty of of clear blue ocean water and pure sandy beaches, and that was an overflow of his creative beauty. You take a walk in the woods, and you enjoy the sounds of birds chirping and looking at beautiful leaves in the fall and a cool breeze across your face and sunshine beaming on you. All from this living God, the creator of all good things. And this is also the God who the psalmist says in Psalm 16 this. This is incredible. It says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is the fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. The fullness of joy is found in his presence. Eternal pleasures at his right hand forever the author of joy and happiness and pleasure that god offers us an inheritance that's imperishable undefiled and unfading eternity with him as one of his children the promise of heaven eternity in the presence of this magnificent living god that should stir something in us Woo! That should change some things right there. The living God made a way for you and I. And so you got to realize the condition that we're in. You and I were apart from God. Scripture says that we were enemies of God, totally opposed to him. Because we would rather choose our own way. Because we want to make ourselves the sinner, not him the sinner, who actually is the sinner and holds it all together. We were opposed to him at opposition with him, his enemies. But he chose to do something about that. To make a way that he did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. That in his grace and in his love and in his mercy, he saw fit to give us an opportunity to be reconciled to him. We didn't deserve it. We didn't earn it. All we got to do is grab a hold of it. That's some really good news. And that's something that we've got to look to often. We've got to think about that. This is our living hope. Reflect on it. Shift your focus and attention to it continually, time after time after time. Find your strength in that living hope. Anchor yourself in the gospel. Know it. Let it run deep in you. You're set apart for hope, a living hope that's anchored in this gospel. And as it's anchored in this gospel, this living hope produces something incredible inside of us. Look at verses 6 through 9 here. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it's tested by fire, may be found in result, to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Living hope produces inexpressible joy. Living hope produces inexpressible joy. In this you rejoice. In what? In living hope, in this living hope, the promise of salvation, eternity with God. In this, you rejoice. Do you rejoice that you've been born again to a living hope? Does that excite you? Does a thought of that stir you up? Because if it doesn't, you're not doing it right. You've missed something here. In this You rejoice. You are set apart for the greatest treasure ever promised, God himself. He sets you apart for himself. So for those who are born again to a living hope, this is a joy like none other. Look at verse 8. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Rejoice with joy that's inexpressible and filled with glory. So much joy that you can't express it. Joy filled with glory. That that again, that's that whole thing that caused Peter to do what he did back in verse 3, to just bubble up in worship before he starts this whole thing off. He just can't contain the joy that's there. And this isn't joy in the form of some shallow, happy feelings about rainbows and cotton candy and He-Man power swords. Like This is, this is real joy here. This is a powerful joy that takes place. There is happiness in God. Make no mistake about that. God's people delight in him. And it's so much more joy than the rest of the world experiences. This joy is powerful. This joy is enduring. That even in the midst of difficulty, even in trial and testing, even in times of waiting, joy. Look at verse 6 again. In this you rejoice Though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. Joy, even when grieved by various trials. So this joy looks beyond that. It looks at how these trials are a testing of our faith, producing an outcome more precious than gold. This is a joy that's got the end in mind. A joyful endurance so fixed on the outcome being produced that it remains through any trial. This is the kind of joy that when you're hit by tragedy, your living hope joyfully carries you through it. And I know that's hard to explain if you haven't ever walked right in the middle of it and experienced it. But let me, let me tell you what this looks like. I moved up here almost a year ago now. My first day at Great Oaks was August 1st in my first week here, my closest friend in Texas passed away. His name was John. John was in his mid-50s, married with a daughter, and we were close. In fact, so close that every week, once a week for six years, John and I got together. We got together just to pray and to connect with one another. I, I loved John. And over that six years, um, I watched as John first got diagnosed with skin cancer and then had treatments and, and surgery. And, and that was removed and, and taken care of there, but he had this you know, awakening through that. You know, Things shifted in a perspective for him. And then not long after that, the cancer returned, came back in another area, and so there was more treatments for that another surgery, and so things would go up and down and up and down, so there's seasons where it's all good, um, and then seasons where there's another scan, and it's more cancer, and so there's more treatments, and I noticed through that, my friend developed such a God-centered perspective on life and a commitment to finish his race well, and he had this resolve deep in him, to joyfully endure because of the living hope in the resurrected Jesus. And he went through surgeries and had treatments and more treatments. And the whole time, he's sharing the gospel and declaring the goodness of God and Jesus to anyone around him, doctors, nurses, other patients, walking in an unexplainable joy. That He had a smile on his face as he's losing weight and his skin is flaking and irritated and all of the other side effects going along with it. There's this deep joy that he walked in. And then one day, in one of those seasons where it looked like things were taking a positive turn and, and some treatments were going well, John blacked out at work and they discovered he had two brain tumors, none of which on any scans before, and one had ruptured. And I can remember getting that call, and then I remember staying up all night praying for my friend because they didn't think that he was going to make it through. And that time, I remember God saying, I'm, I'm not quite done with John yet. And sure enough, he, he took a little bit of a turn there. And things started looking a little bit positive, and I'd go see him in the hospital. And it was the craziest thing. Because of the tumors and the damage that was done to his brain, he didn't know a lot of what was going on there. But we would sit, and, and the guy would just quote scripture from deep in his soul and his spirit. And we'd, we'd worship together and sing songs. And the guy would just smile as we'd talk about Jesus. And this joy would just come on him and in the room. And then he continued getting a little bit better, a little bit better, and they released him to this inpatient rehab, um, and, and even in there, even though he couldn't do hardly anything on his own, there was this joy in this living hope that he'd cut up and pick at nurses and make jokes and wise cracks, and share the gospel and share the love of Christ. And then another turn. And he got an affection, and God finally took him home, and ended all of that. This isn't easy stuff. This was tragedy for him and for his family. And this is an example of what Peter says in verse 6. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, rejoicing even when grieved by various trials. There's a joy that carries you through the hardest of times. I saw this in John. I saw this in his wife, Nadine. I saw it in his daughter, Tucker. There's no doubt sorrow. There's plenty of tears and questions. But this is not an ignorant, naive joy. This is joy in a living hope. A powerful joy that goes beyond all of that. A joy that stands up when no worldly hope can make it happen. This is living hope in a living God. This joy is not dependent on current situations. Joy that comes from a living hope isn't stopped in difficulty or even suffering. Hardships don't quench this kind of joy. This joy goes beyond the here and now and rests in the promise of eternity. The promise purchased for us by the blood of Jesus Christ and guarded for us by God himself. The promise that one day all the suffering is going to be over with. That every tear is going to be wiped away and we enter into his perfect presence. This kind of hope sets us apart. And if you are a follower of Jesus, you're set apart for this kind of hope. All right, let's get back to 1 Peter, and we're going to wrap this up here. Verses 10 and 12. 10 to 12. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating When he preached the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories, it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you, and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. So, our last point on living hope is that living hope is not something to take for granted. Living hope is not something to take for granted. What we have was anticipated for years by many. So don't take it for granted. This living hope was looked forward to long before any of us were here. In fact, the prophets of old looked forward to this promise of Jesus, the coming Messiah, eagerly eagerly anticipating his arrival, searching, waiting, looking carefully for it to come. And we get the benefit to look back and see the work of Jesus and his resurrection and receive the full benefits of what took place there, receiving his Holy Spirit, his presence with us now. Don't take this for granted. We've been given an incredible opportunity and privilege. You're called to be set apart for hope, a living hope so for those of us that have experienced that hope, it's time to start living it. It's time to start acting like we really have a living hope. Centering our lives in every area around Jesus as our greatest treasure and our deepest source of joy. And for those that haven't experienced that hope, God has made it available to you it's lying there waiting the gift waiting there for you to open and take so as we wrap things up this morning the band is going to come back out they're going to give us an opportunity to just to respond to God and worship through song to celebrate the living hope that he's given us what i want to encourage you with is we're also we're going to have our prayer partners available on the sides i encourage you if your joy is lacking if your hope isn't in a living hope, don't leave here this morning without somebody praying for you. I believe God would be so gracious to release that inside of you even this morning. So take full advantage of this opportunity. If you would, just we're, we're going to pray for a, sec- a second here. Just kind of find yourself in just a posture of prayer, um, whatever that is for you in your seat. And as you're there reflecting, I would encourage you to be asking yourself, are you walking in a living hope? Do you respond to God in worship? Is this thing anchored in the gospel in such a way that you are experiencing an incredible, unexplainable joy? And if you haven't ever experienced that, if you haven't ever said yes to Jesus in that way, I encourage you, consider this. This is of eternal significance. You cannot enter the kingdom of God unless you are born again. So Father in heaven, I just just want to say thank you. Thank you for the opportunity that you give us to gather with your people. Thank you for your word, your word that is living and active, your word that changes things, your word that changes us. So, Father, for those here this morning that just need some more joy, real joy, joy in a living hope, the joy that only you provide. I ask that you would give them grace. And those that need a a living hope, would you make that known to them? God, and those that that don't know you, that are far from you, that feel distant from you, I ask that you would be near them this morning. that this morning would be a morning that all of us in here would take another step towards you, that you would be lifted up high, and that our joy would be complete. And so it's in and through and because of the name of Jesus, we can even pray. Amen. If you would, go ahead and stand. We'll have our prayer partners available on the sides as well, but we're going to celebrate this living hope together so this week make sure go to your life group you guys can talk this over if you're not a part of a life group stop off at connection central on the way out we'll find you one that you can do this week just like we say every week around here don't don't let this stop with you the gospel is a powerful message that changes things so share this talk it over with your family with your friends Be a Jesus follower that's making other Jesus followers. And we'll see you next week whenever we continue Set Apart.